Welcome to No Challenges, remaining our annual fall ATP-centric show. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by ATP expert extraordinaire and repeat NCR guest. It's probably your like fifth time on the show, Ricky Diamond. How are you doing? Doing great. Uh, it's good to be in D.C. again. Uh, just ran the marathon for the fourth time. Uh, but yeah, as you said, I think I'm a guest every October following the marathon. And then I think I've been on once or twice at the French Open and various places, so yeah, it's good to be back on. Thanks for having me. Very glad to have you. It feels a little weird, a little bit weirder this year. The calendar changed slightly. So we're doing this men's only show during what is arguably the biggest women's tennis week of the year during their tour championships. I'm aware of that optics looking. Um, I'll do a show with Courtney when she gets back on the same continent as me. It's tough to coordinate when we're over there. And she was only back home between Asian events very briefly. So we didn't get a chance to. Um, but this is a, still a big week. And this actually makes it a very big week across both tours. So there's a Masters event going on right now in the ATP in Paris-Bercy, which is a, I think, kind of underrated Masters event in terms of attending. I think it's a fun one for people who've been there. Uh, and then there's uh, the Tour Championships always coming up, too, and it's a chance to look back at the men's year a little bit and talk about some men's tennis-type issues. So, uh, Ricky, I'll, I'll start with first question for you, just how would you sum up the year, the, the 2019 season? I don't think anything can happen in these last two big right. tournaments that would change the sort of headlines in the year. I could be wrong, right. but I don't think there can be. What would you, how would you sum up this year? What would you remember about 2019? I mean, I think overall it was a relatively entertaining year. Um, it got boring quote unquote at points when like the big three was dominating and had absolutely no competition. But I think in general, it had a little bit of something for everyone. You know, there's the camp that loves the big three, well, a lot of people, almost everyone loves the big three, or at least one of them. And mm-hmm. they're obviously good for the game. We know we don't want them to retire because they're so good for tennis. Um, so for the most part, they still dominated. So there was the big three, but then also there's a lot of people who want a newcomer, someone to break up the order. And we finally got that in Medvedev. Um, so pretty much the second half of the season was all about Medvedev, aside from Nadal having a really good hardcore summer. Um, so there was a little bit of both. There was the big three dominance, there was Medvedev breaking out, and then obviously Andy Murray, that whole story, started yeah. the year retired, came back at the end, so a lot of stuff was going on. Had Medvedev, thinking about more of this, but had Medvedev won the US Open final, which he was pretty close to doing, he was in a fifth set against it all, had he won that, it would have been this like really nice like torch pass narrative that would have, or at least like new arrival, because he would have wasn't a fluke because he won Cincinnati before right. and then Shanghai after oh, two yeah. other Masters events. So it would have been really like a new period of dominance. And was were all the other big three guys at their peak during that? No, I mean like Djokovic was hurt during US Open. Federer played a really bizarrely bad match against Dimitrov to bow out of that top half of the drop too. Also kind of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And also definitely seemed hurt in that match. Although yeah. he's been playing again since. Yeah. So he put one Basel a couple of days ago, so he's doing okay. But uh yeah, it, it's yeah, I think it'll be. This is. I was thinking about it before. This will be a year that if Medvedev, especially, like become like wins the slam in twenty twenty or like becomes like the next big thing, we'll point to twenty nineteen as like when he started to arrive for sure. If he doesn't become like the next guy, then we will look at twenty nineteen today, which is like more of the same and more like more or less stagnant ATP, right? With so, a couple in outliers, a way, the jury's kind of still so out. so the jury's kind of out for the significance this year. But I do think that I thought U.S. Open was a really good tournament, men's and women's. I thought they were both really strong. Yeah. Uh, and compared to like French, French Open, I did not think it was a good tournament. 
but us i thought was really good and yeah and so and we'll we'll see how that goes and yeah there's some new expected names did well i mean sits have been on the radar for a long time um as a next big thing kind of or you know as a next big thing and a young next genner and so on he validated that this year uh so Arab took a bit of a step back team took a bit of a step forward one of first masters and like a more solidly top five kind of player if not really that close to threatening the big three although he did beat Djokovic in Paris which was a big win for him yeah I think it was okay but it, it also kind of yeah it kind of set the stage for 2020 and beyond because like there's a lot of guys kind of lurking right you know Felix is into the top 20 now he's only 19 yeah. Shapovalov just won his first ATP title so the, like Medvedev was really the only one who made the super big move this year but at the same time it also kind of set the stage for people for other guys to do the same thing and either 2020 or 2021 or sometime pretty soon and you let off the year with the big three obviously because they won the three slams yet again they've won uh i think the last how many slams in a row i guess the last non-big three was stan in 2016 us so it's 12 slams in a row for the big three one of their longer streaks ever it's been more than five years now since we had any first time slam champ with chillich being the last first time slam champ in 2014 us open um so let's just get to the big three a little bit one question that's sort of come up a lot this year especially wimbledon final was seen as a big swing match for this or the late rounds of wimbledon period because the big three were the last three standing at that tournament um and federer could have extended his lead on slam count to 21 had he prevailed had he done better on the 40 15 he had at eight seven in the in the fifth yep. there um yeah so the question is with federer now at 20 and all now at 19 picking up the u.s open two and Djokovic now at 16 and still the youngest of them and people I think most people would assume that Djokovic will have the most slams in his future of the three maybe that's a not obvious choice but seems to be just based on youth and health although who knows Djokovic because he went off the rails pretty quickly once before yeah um this this idea that um we talked about this a lot Courtney and I on our last show about Margaret, contest of Margaret Court and Serena, where Mar- Serena is trying to chase this Margaret Court record of 24 slams, which has all these possible asterisks on it, because uh, 13 of them, I believe, were in the pre-open era uh, when it was amateur sport and people weren't playing professionally, and so it was a very different landscape of the sport. And then 11 of them were at the Australian Open, where a lot of players didn't travel to all the time, and she did. So that one needs some context around to explain, but the big threes similarities are all pretty much in the same era. I mean, Federer won one in 2003, and then it all got on the board in 05, so pretty fast after he did. Um, and yeah, the question, I guess, is just like, how much do you think, in terms of these vaunted greatest of all time GOAT debates, how much do you think, for these this, this generation at least, that slam count should be the sort of easy be-all, end-all currency? Or could you see yourself making an argument or understanding an argument for someone who finishes not number one on, on the podium out of those three for being uh oh, yeah. being, being, being the greatest of all time i'm more of in the camp of taking in a lot of things into account um obviously i think grand slams is the biggest factor but i think it's far from the only factor i mean it's not even a debate like it's not even interesting to talk about if that's the only thing that, yeah. that you factor in um but yeah there's just so many there's only four grand slams a year in a sport that lasts longer than any other sport. Like yeah. there's so many, there's so many tournaments, there's masters, there's Olympics, there's cups, there's all kind of things. So it is the most important, but that's definitely, that's definitely not the only thing in my opinion. Um, you know, obviously Nadal has Olympic golds and singles and doubles. He's got Davis cups. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
He might. Is he still the most masters, or is Djokovic have that got this one back and forth? Nadal's up by one, I think. Yeah, Nadal's still winning. But um, so yeah, I think you have to take in everything. I'm also, I'm I'm more into the subjective kind of eye test things. Yeah, me too. That's more fun. You know, I've seen, I've watched so much tennis that, like, in my opinion, and according to my eye test, Federer in his prime is the best tennis I've ever seen. Um, I think his his best in the mid two thousands would be anyone's best um so yeah i think there's a lot of a lot of things to factor in obviously grand slams are the most important but it's not the end all be all in my opinion yeah no i would say that's i would say for the big three it kind of works a little bit for me because they've all the other categories which i've put as like clearest things we master styles this is a good secondary one for sure slam finals made also if someone was way ahead on that time at number one let's say and that's for example why in overall titles not just in tour titles and so that's why, for example, um, even though people kind of talk about them like they have the same career, for me, Andy Murray's career has been wildly better than Stan Favrenka's career. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Maybe like by like not even, they're both three-time slam champs, right. but like Murray's done so much more. He's won two gold medals and right. singles. He's decisive a, match of Davis Cup. Right. Yeah. Davis Cup, sure. I mean, he's won the, uh, you know, a lot of Masters titles, a lot of other, I think he won, just won his 40th something title. Yeah. Um, I assume he has a lot yeah. more like slams, semis, and oh, exactly, and, and just and like well, big de- wins, definitely more slam runners, and just ups. being re- and just being relevant, just sort yeah. of hanging around. I mean, it, 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 it's sort of unfair, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode that aired with Vashik Pospisil, where I was saying like it's kind of sad and amazing how fast it went from big four to big three once Murray stopped. It's like statistically, <laughs> Murray was like there were cases he made when he came to like who was making all the slam semis and who was winning Masters titles, like. Andy did fill a lot more missing pieces. I mean, Stan, I'm not trying to just riff on Stan, but Stan only has one Masters title. Yeah. Which is kind of wild for someone who gets compared to Andy Murray, who is like, I don't know, off the top of my head, like probably 14, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, different calibers of, of career for sure. How many slam runner-ups does Stan have? One. So I, he's three and one in slam yeah, finals. Yeah, and he just lost that one final to uh, Nadal in Paris where he got killed. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. in 2016, I think, right? 2016, 2017? 2017. Yeah. 20, mm. No, it didn't team. I forgot. No, 2017. Yeah. And then, yeah, then team lost finals in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Okay. So then it all years blend together. But yeah, yeah I, and, and there's, you know, you can say like, some people say, yes, it's more impressive than it all won 12 of his 19 and counting probably more coming in Paris. Or some people say that shows less diversity and he only won one in Australia and two in a pretty short period and on grass. And, you know, I, there's different ways to argue it and and you can and i'm happy to argue have people bring in somebody else from an earlier era who had played different circumstances especially when surfaces were more different because i think they definitely are the most the same now i mean Djokovic, to use him as an example like plays very similar tennis on all three surfaces in a way that wouldn't have been possible right. i don't think in other eras um and i think people yeah nadal's grass record i don't know it's interesting the the 20 the match this year they had at wimbledon it's an interesting one for like the Federer Nadal debate because it makes Federer like three and one against Nadal on grass at Wimbledon, which is a big stage for them. And like I think before people were like, oh, oh yeah, oh wait, he finally like knocked him off. But now that's like for me, it seems more like that was that one time, and then the other times Federer right. had his number. So anyway, um, just one more thing about Wimbledon that yeah. you, you've pointed out a few times was how just like the importance of that final. Yeah, like if if Federer had won, it would have been a three slam gap between all of them. Exactly. 21, 18, 15. But he lost, so it was a two slam gap between all of them. Yeah. 2018 and, so, like, and now, and now Nadal won such, one more. It was such like a swing match, like, such a swing match. Kind of like the, I guess it was the 
18 Australian Open, mm-hmm. whatever. 17 the, Australian the, Open, 17, yeah. The Fed, the Fed Nadal match. I feel yeah. like that was such that was such a sweet match in there, head-to-head. So. Mentioned Andy Murray a little bit. We got a question about Andy Murray um, from Peter, one of our dear listeners, who asked us, Peter asked, uh, just to, in, the, on the wake, in the wake of Andy's title, uh, talk about where his game is now, prognosticate about the future. Can he contend for slams again? It's basically Peter's question summed up. Do you think, what do you think? Can Andy Murray become a factor at Grand Slams in 2020, 2021? Become a factor? I would say yes. Like factor, factor for me is like be deep stages with like chances to win. I think he could make like a quarterfinal and be competitive against a top player. I don't think, I don't think he's in this serious mix to like win another slam. Mm. But it's hard to say, like, this might be more of a question for like a doctor or something. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly what his status is. Um, of course, he's been a pleasant surprise, much better than anyone pretty much could yeah. have hoped behind even the, beyond their wildest dreams. Um, I think he'll be there. I just, it's too, the sample size of, of success this fall isn't big enough to say like, oh yeah, he's going to be back on the biggest stage and like competing for Grand Slams. And he hasn't, he beat Warrenka. That was a really good win, but he hasn't, he hasn't beaten and he hasn't got the chance to beat just because he hadn't played enough, any of the absolute like top guys. Yeah. And they're not playing full schedule. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he finally plays like a fit Nadal or Joker. Um, So he's doing great. Obviously I think his ranking is going to go way up and you know, he won't need wild cards so often. So he's going to be pretty much in every tournament soon. Um, Is he back top hundred yet or no? I haven't actually checked his uh, I don't rank. think I don't so, think but I'm sure, I'm sure it will be pretty quickly in 2020. Um, so, yeah, I think it's. I think we need to hold off on the Grand Slam talk and let him continue working his way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's done better than anyone could have hoped. I think this is the thing. I think it's talk, I keep feeling like I'm referencing all these old episodes, but, like, uh, Curios, when he was on it, Sierra was, talk, was talking about Murray a bunch and said, like, why you know it's gonna be sad he comes back and be like oh this isn't good enough you know like oh yeah, yeah you're okay but it wasn't what you were like i don't think that's really gonna be the case i think like everyone will have in context what andy murray and his body have gone through oh, yeah. this year which is incredible uh, we'll get to the awards later but i think he's he would get my vote for comeback player of the year probably just for the sort of severity of the injury and um and everything like that and sort of his long-term journey yeah i i think that um it's it's yeah, I think people will be just happy to have him around. I think yeah. he's just a really positive person to have in the sport, and the sport definitely missed him for sure. You saw that definitely from it was a very odd sort of thing, especially not knowing he's going to be back in Australia next year. That he really had this sort of preview of this sort of like his funeral of his career <laughs> right. in Australia. So now that he now that he knows that people appreciate him, and even people got so excited um, at other things, he seems to be equally expressive as he always has been on court, making lots oh, of faces yeah. and stuff, and yelling at his box, yelling at his box, getting which, into arguments with other players. Yeah, well, <laughs> telling Fabio Fanini to shut up. That was people. <laughs> people were so happy with that. <laughs> You know that, that so that's just like that's he was officially back at that, that point. Was, yeah, that's good to see. <laughs> yeah. That was that was good to see. And uh, yeah, Antwerp, very good out title. Not the toughest ATP field you could have yeah. for sure. Uh, he knows that, um, but still a, a big, big symbolic moment for him too. Especially have won that title. Especially considering like a month ago he lost to I forgot who he lost to at a challenger event, like Jao Menzies or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody like that. Only like five weeks earlier. So yeah. he's definitely. He's uh, he's making a lot of progress, but you know we'll see how big of how big of a jump he can make when he goes up against you know one of the big three in Australia. Maybe that'd yeah, be, that'd be good to see. And it's another sort of question, big picture ATP question I had is like, 
when and where someone new is going to break through to win a Grand Slam. And if you add Murray to the mix of old guard people in there and Stan is still in the mix, if you want to put Chilich and Delpo in the mix too, they would officially not be newcomers. Um, they're not first-timers anyway. But yeah, I mean, like w- with the big three and everything, what do you see from the field now? Who, you know, picked up this year, I believe, three Masters titles, team with one, uh, Medvedev with two, maybe they'll win in Bear C, TV to be determined. Um when I talked to Medvedev for this about this in Washington, he was talking all this is before he really had his full glow up. Right. He was saying it was actually made the finals. It was starting to get somewhere, but not yeah, that anywhere. Was, that was the first of that his, was the first of his run, yeah. yeah. Um but he was he was still talking about Zverev, who's had an interesting sort of year where it feels like it's been really not good, but he's still like in content in he's position gonna, to yeah, make he's London. Most likely comfortably qualify. Yeah, in seventh to qualify. It's I mean something weird doesn't happen in Paris. Yeah. Um I don't know. What, what do you think the state of the field is? Uh, and maybe you sum up individually here, whether it's Tsitsipas, Medvedev, those are probably, and Zverev are probably the three in team, sort of the most individual attention. But what do you think of the field? And do you think there'll be a first time slam champ breaking this longest ever streak in men's tennis of that first time champ right. uh, in 2020? It's a tough call. I, there's definitely a chance in 2020, which is more than we could say for any recent year. But I think I'm leaning towards no. Obviously, in Australia, you can't bet against Djokovic if he's healthy. And right now, he looks pretty healthy. And then he's got the offseason to, to rest. So he's always so tough down under. French Open is an obvious no, I think, at least <laughs> at least for one more year. Possibly. Well, but, French Open is interesting for me because I think French Open is like obvious no for one guy. Right. right. But, if, but if Nadal, for some it, reason, like yeah. gets hurt again or no, stumbles, I, yeah, then, I mean, then it's wide open no, suddenly. Yeah, yeah I meant like... It's not like a slam dunk, but no. I, just in terms of my prediction of when it's going to yeah, happen, yeah. like you can't predict that it's going to no. happen. Uh, Wimbledon, I would also say no. I just think I think Federer's got one more year left in him, and Djokovic is usually too good there as well. Djokovic being so good at Wimbledon is the most one of the most confusing <laughs> developments of the <laughs> right. decade for me. Right. Like the weird weirdest stats of the decade for me that Djokovic won more Wimbledon than anybody else this decade, yeah, and, that's, that, and, that's and, and, that, and that Nadal won more U.S. Opens than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> those do not those do not compute for me either of those no at all no Medvedev. for half for half of Nadal's career people were wondering if he was ever going to win the U.S. Open yeah and now he's or, like, I guess the first third yeah of his and now career. he four this decade right yeah. and you know yeah so so yeah 2020 U.S. Open I think that's probably the first re- very realistic chance Medvedev Zverev Tsitsipas maybe even team I mean team's been playing great on hard courts out yeah. of nowhere um so my betting prediction is is no, but definite chance at 2020 U.S. Open. I'm going on a future limb right now, and I'll pick I'll pick team at the 2021 French Open. Okay, um, that's that's my current prediction. That's for sure a deadline. It will definitely happen by then. You're saying the new mm-hmm. slam champ. I'm saying that's when it will happen. Okay, yeah, that's that's my prediction. No later than so, then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that Medvedev could win the Australian. I mean, he's been so good on and, hard courts. He's won. Yeah. He's won three of the last. I think Medvedev. Three I think Medvedev. Yeah, Medvedev in twenty twenty or twenty one Australia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a chance now. Yeah, and he's beaten. Just, he's beaten Djokovic twice this year. So yeah, he does. That's a good matchup. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would I would pick Djokovic for Australia, but yeah, Medvedev Medvedev will be interesting, especially yeah. if he if he continues his final streak in Paris and then in London, and he still has the final streak going into Australia. That'd be wild. See, um, and he's playing, is he playing ATP Cup? I can't remember. You think uh, so, yeah. Okay, so um, that's happening there. Uh, we'll get to ATP Cup in a, in, a, in a bit, but I wanted to first just talk about the World Tour Finals field we mentioned. 
we pretty much mentioned everybody in there already, but the big three are in there. Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, all expected to play, plus team, Tsitsipas, and Medvedev already qualified. Not in that order, but they're all qualified. Um, and then uh, Zverev looks like he'll get in the seventh spot, and then the eighth spot will be determined this week. Berrettini, I think, is in pole position. Maybe Batista Gut. Yeah, I think Batista Gut, if he, if he reaches the semis, he's got a realistic chance if Berrettini loses somewhat early. Yeah. I think if I think if Berrettini wins one match and Bautista reaches the quarters, that's not enough for Bautista. No. So it's something, so something let's, like let's, that. Let's, They're let's, both let's, in, the, in play. Let's say Berrettini, but like, yeah. and it doesn't matter a ton, but like overall, like compared to the years, you've been, you go to this event a lot. The World yeah, Finals. I've been every year since 14. Yeah. So how is the overall quality of men's tennis right now? Is it, well, is it, is it doing, is it, are, they, are the big, I don't, people said, it annoyed me when people said at Wimbledon, like, oh, Federer and all back, and they're both playing better than ever. I was like, that's absolutely not true. Right. But um, overall, what do you think about the health of sort of men's tennis writ large right now in terms of I mean, I how think... good those events will be, how good those matches will be compared to previous eras of, you know, Burdich, Ferrer, oh, whoever else you've seen. Yeah, those were <laughs> nightmares. I mean, if Burdich it... had some good some good times <laughs> in his career. No, but well, I, I mean, like in the World Tour Finals. Like, yeah, those guys, never, yeah. Those guys were mostly just space fillers. I think... In terms of the actual tournament, I think if Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are all healthy, it's going to be definitely the best one since I've been going in 2014. Just because I don't know if I've ever seen Nadal there. Mm. I think he played I, that they, one match against. Yeah, he played Goffin. one match against Goffin. Yeah, and then withdrew. So a healthy Nadal would make it way better. Fed is Fed didn't play once in the last three years, I think, and then obviously he withdrew from the final and. 2015 right he'd be yeah i think that was or 2014 14 yeah 14, 14 he won the controversial match against warenka and then pulled out that year that was a disastrous world tour finals that was year. the worst i was yeah. at that tournament it was the worst tournament i've ever been to was, every match was, was bad yeah the only decent federer yeah. Wawrinka, and then it ended with right federer getting injured the only good match of the tournament was actually bad because then it was so tough on fed that he couldn't even play the, the next day um but yeah this should be really good Federer and Nadal and Djokovic all look healthy. Medvedev is going to inject some new life into the tournament and looks like an actual contender to win it. Zverev's the defending champion. He'll most likely be there, and obviously he's going to feel comfortable there. Um, since he's good against the big guys. Since he's good against the big guys. You know, Berrettini has a big game. He can If he plays well, he, it's, he can beat anyone on any given day. Yeah. Obviously, he's it's kind of a weird field because... If Berrettini's the eighth guy, or whoever's the eighth guy, either RBA or Berrettini, is going to be like a massive underdog yeah. compared to the other seven. Like it's like seven, then a huge break, and then eight. Yeah. But that'll make it kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, it should be really good. So that pretty much wraps up the season there, but there are still two more tournaments after uh, World Tour Finals, which are the two newfangled cups. So first, going to be Davis Cup, which is in its new controversial new format after getting passed at the ITF. Uh, meeting last August, which I was at in Orlando, uh, that people directly called the PK Cup for Gerard PK's company, Cosmos involvement in it. Uh, the one site thing, I got to say, the rosters for it that came out, the provisional rosters are much stronger than I expected. It's pretty much everybody showing up, except for I think Zverev's not on Germany. We expected that. And then Isner is notably not on the US team. And Nisha Corey's hurt. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like Isner, when Isner's like the main absence you notice from that team, <laughs> 
like from the tournament, like you're doing pretty well. Yeah. And Isner just had a second kid, so I think that's probably his reason. Although he's playing, it's, yeah, it's strangely Paris. bizarre that he's playing Paris. He's playing Paris, <laughs> not, not, not Davis, Davis Cup. Cup. But uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, we'll see how that. I, I'm curious how that one goes for sure. And then ATP Cup to start the year next year. And I'm not. I'm thinking. I haven't. It's been a new look to this season starting next year. So I haven't finalized my travel plans yet. But I'm curious to see how this changes the the start of the year and. It, <laughs> This is the one that I've seen people talking about, like they that no one asked for this tournament, that this was not something there was really demand for at all, like an, a third team new team event after Labor Cup, which has been a big success, I think you'd yeah. say, um, in terms of getting fans engaged and players engaged and good crowds and stuff, um, and really interesting production and how they do it with the players coaching everything. I think it's a lot of good innovations in Labor Cup for sure, and been very well packaged. Um, ATP Cup, I don't know, it's it, it drawn some controversy or some blowback from a few couple players uh in the last couple weeks most notably on twitter riley opelka and john millman who are upset that this because it's atp cup atp is leveraging what they have which is ranking points that's their one unique thing that only atp cup decides it can be awarded or not and so to bolster its own new product atp is getting a lot of ranking points atp cup get as many as 750 i believe 750 750 if you win the whole thing and i guess win all your matches um, and a bunch of people can walk away with some very complicated point system in ATP Cup. I'm not going to try to explain the whole thing, but it, it comes in this tournament um, where it's not where only two players per country can get in, and so it's not a coincidence that Opelka and Millman are the two guys complaining because they're both people who are pretty good players for sure, but who are not top two in their pretty strong countries, and so can't have access to those points. And then additionally, they they know, and I hadn't realized this, but they obviously are more in tune with these things. And it's you know credit to Opelka, who would think first on it, especially for being sort of engaged with the system and knowing the rules of the sport, which not everybody is always good at. Um, but knowing that this ATP Cup will count as a 19th tournament. So normally you can only count 18 tournaments towards your ranking, but this new night, this ATP Cup will have a special status. So to encourage players to play it more, like, mm-hmm. hey, come play ATP Cup. It'll count no matter what. Everybody will get points. It'll be a good time. But Opelka, because he's just behind, was just behind Fritz when the when the cutoff was made. I think he's since passed him. Yep. And Isner does not have access to those points um, and that 19th tournament slot. So I, 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 we've talked about this on, obviously, we've done like 200 plus episodes of NCR. We've talked about a lot of stuff in the past, but Courtney and I were both in favor of them getting rid of ranking points at the Olympics for the same reason, just because it's not even to get in mm-hmm. you know there's limit caps per country basically you have to have good davis cup standing and things like that and same thing with davis cup we didn't like points at davis cup either and so now atp cup a bit similarly has points the whole point of it is to have points i can't imagine this tournament without having points that would just be a really big exo at the beginning of the year um what do you think what i mean what do you think let's just i talked a lot just now but what do you think about both new davis cup and new atp cup and points and not and how they're is, I mean, there, is there room for all three cups to survive? Because there's it's me and the in, in the current calendar, it's four cup events in you know four or, sorry three cup events in like a four month stretch more or less. And I don't know if there's is there appetite for that. I, right. I'm, I'm well in terms of that. in terms of ranking points, I'm definitely in your guys' camp. I I don't I just don't think cups. I don't think team format should also award points. Yeah. Um. I mean Davis Cup for a long time didn't award any points and. You know, the old Davis Cup was yeah. wasn't in the until recently. Old Davis Cup was pretty amazing, high energy. Everyone played it, yeah. um, even without points. And and like Opelka and Millman and Taylor Fritz weighed in also, as they said, like it's really not that fair. Like no. Opelka's number thirty one in the world, and he's not going to be on ATP Cup because 
he's not one of the top two, or he wasn't at the time one of the top two from his country. Whereas whoever that guy from, you know, <laughs> Metrovelli, yeah, yeah, he's he's in he's in the ATP Cup, even though he probably doesn't even have a ranking almost. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's just not equal opportunity, and 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 a lot of points can clearly be won. I don't like you said. I don't know exactly what the breakdown is, but any point that you have a chance to win is up to 750 is a pretty lucrative tournament in terms of ranking points. And most players on tour aren't going to get a shot at any. Um, and as Millen pointed out, if you're playing in the ATP finals in London, if you're playing in London and then you're also playing in the ATP cup, you're going to be getting 20 countable tournaments, whereas most people only have 18. So it can get skewed pretty fast. Um, in terms of if, if there's an appetite for three cups, there's definitely an appetite for two. Like, and I feel like Labor Cup is so much different than the other two. Like, Labor Cup is going to survive. It's just your yeah. Labor Cup's definitely going to survive. It's, it's just one. It's three days. It's Europe versus the world. Totally different format from Davis Cup and and uh, ATP Cup. So I think Labor Cup is fine. I think Davis Cup and ATP Cup, they're so close on the calendar. They're in different seasons, but it's November. And really similar formats, too. Right, yeah. Similar formats, probably a lot of the same guys. Yeah. Like, exact same team sometimes. Yeah. And they're only, probably, they're less than two full months apart. Yeah. So they feel like, almost like, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what ATP Cup is going to feel like, because we've never seen it, but. Yeah, and we don't know what New Davis Cup will feel like, either. That, yeah, that's also true. But they seem pretty similar to me, so. Yeah. If there becomes an appetite for both, then great, but I'm not sure there will be. Yeah, and it's interesting what you mentioned about how Davis Cup used to be much stronger. And I think I, I, I talked about this when the Davis Cup reform got passed. That, like, Davis Cup, in a lot of ways, Davis Cup was a huge deal in tennis, like, for pretty much the entire 20th century. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a big, big thing. Players played Davis Cup more reliably than played the Grand Slams. And they would only really play the big players would play, or at least big European and American players would play. U.S. Open and Wimbledon uh, most of the time, but then they played Davis Cup. And Davis Cup, in a lot of ways, was like this relic of the amateur era that managed to playing like for pride and for country instead of playing for money and points that lasted, you know, maybe longer than it should have in its current thing. And now PK and Cosmos have pumped in a lot of points. I started a lot of money. They don't have points. And I, I see ATP Cup seems extremely opportunistic and seeing this weak moment of weakness in Davis Cup and trying to pounce mm -hmm. on it with a very similar event and offering what they won't give Davis Cup, which is ranking points. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, we got another question from this guy, Greg's and Greg's and Bacon talking about the cups and also, uh, and the fairness of the cups, which we talked about, but also the status of Hopman Cup and Hopman Cup was, I think the sort of perfect year starting thing where it was like very clearly not high stakes because you were playing, there was prize money in Hopman Cup. They never talked about, it, but there is prize money in Hopman Cup. Um, and the diamond crusted balls that used to get players had some real, real value to them. Um, but they, uh, and definitely appearance fees for sure in Hotman Cup. But the players would go there and get some warm-up matches and play low-stakes thing. I also just don't know if players are going to want to play, a, you know, have this many points up for grabs in the first week of the year. Right. Like, there's never been a 500 event or even or even a 500 event in the first week of the year that I know of. It's been 250s and mm -hmm. Hotman in the first week of the year. So now suddenly putting high stakes at the very beginning. I don't really like that. I thought that with the WTA even too sometimes where Brisbane for WTA was such a tough, tough field and you would have, because it was such a high cut and um, for Brisbane, you'd have matches, first match of the year would be like number 11 versus number 13 in the world. 
Like, do you want your first match to be like <laughs> against the number thirteen in the world if you're basically a top ten player? I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't want that. You want to get matches in. So I don't know. I hope on Hotman Cup. Um, Hotman Cup is an orphan, but not dead. Uh, Hotman Cup is sort of seeking. ITF still has it. Um, it's a well. Orphan's maybe not the right term. It's like a single parent but homeless. Um, <laughs> And it has, uh, the ITF is still looking after it and still wants to find a new place that, where it can raise it. Could they bring it back as early as 2020? Or yeah, not? Well, not 2020, I think right. they're not really talking about it, but 2021, they're right. talking about it for sure. So it'll miss 2020 probably, yeah. um, which is probably Feist, Olympic year and stuff. Um, and then yeah, get to that, and then it'll be Olympic year next year too. And the Olympics is actually what I would like to see reformed. I would love to see Olympics go to some sort of like world team tennis-ish format or like Hotman Cup kind of format to make it unique. Because right now Olympics is just like a normal tournament. Mm-hmm. Plus a very, very small mixed double straw, which should get bigger. It's only 16 teams. That's too small. That's the thing about Hotman Cup. Like, everyone loves mixed doubles. And there's yeah. so, like, there's so little, like, interaction between, like, the two tours. And, and I, like, like, at Wimbledon, we, like, one of the biggest stories was Serena and Andy. Everyone right. was just going crazy. And so, and everyone loves, you know, when ATP and WTA players practice together, which is becoming more of a that's trend. That's a big thing so, this year, yeah. So, Hotman Cup, I mean, Hotman Cup. I hope it comes back mainly for that aspect. I gotta say, I really feel like Tennis Australia was really dumb about this because, like, unintentionally, I guess they've gave us the strongest Hopman Cup ever the year before they were going to get rid of it, right? And like, they gave us Federer versus Serena, and like Federer and Serena both there the same year, obviously, which is two separate things, but still, like, those were both like big, big draws at that tournament against each other, and then a real they had a really, really good final that uh, mixed doubles. Uh, Federer and Bencic against Kerber and Zverev. It was one of the better matches of the year. Granted, it was a Hotman Cup mixed doubles, but it was like down to the deciding point. Like it was winner of that point, take the whole title. And that's, it was a really good point. Um, Bencic winning over Zverev meant a lot to her. And yeah, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was like it ended on this high note that you shouldn't want it to do if you're trying to sell if you want a new thing. And, you know, Perth will get, Perth was, was a bit, you know, provincial in that way. They just wanted, make sure they stayed on the tennis map. And so they're going to get two groups of round robin play for ATP Cup. They're going to get Nadal for the first time they never had in Perth. They never played Hopman Cup. Um, so, yeah. So we'll see. Also, you never know where the best matches of the year are going to come from. Just, right. Just look at this year. Sinner versus Bolton. Wimbledon qualifying. Absolutely. <laughs> you can. You never know when they're going to show up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, I that's the thing that I think with Davis Cup especially, and ATP Cup probably also. Just to go back to my own Labor Cup experience, I was pretty you know, uh, cynical about Labor Cup before it started. And then once it got on my TV, I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, I will sit and watch this. This is entertaining and fun. And I'm pretty sure people will feel the same way about Davis Cup for sure. Mm-hmm. Davis Cup, I'm pretty confident we'll have that. They'll be like, skepticism, whatever, but then once it starts up and it's like teams getting into into each other, like people will embrace that. It's just the ATP Cup being so similar right after. That's yeah. the one where it's a little dodgier. And if the lineups aren't markedly different, that'll have Federer, which he's not playing Davis Cup. And, um... I guess, is Nadal playing ATP Cup? I guess he is. I think so. Yeah, so maybe they'll have all the big four. I mean, li- um, yeah. just back to the Labor Cup, it's wildly entertaining. Like, yeah. It's so entertaining. My only my only beef is the scoring system. I just, oh, I like the scoring system a lot. The, I mean, point, the points it, increasing, you mean. Yeah, obviously it keeps it entertaining until the end. I just, like, I can't get behind, like, to me it's an exhibition when, like, one one match, one day is one point. Like a singles match, the first day is one point, and the exact same, you know, kind of match. Isn't, Another singles isn't that match pretty on Sunday similar is to Ryder Cup, though. Well, Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup every match is worth one point. They just play more matches on Sunday. 
Okay, that's similar though. I mean, like, I mean, it's similar. There's more, points, Sunday for, is, there's more points up for grabs on Sunday. Is what I'm saying. Right, Ryder Cup's always going to be up for grabs until Sunday. Just because there's so important. many more matches yeah. on Sunday, and just, tennis doesn't really have that luxury because you're only playing on yeah. one court. Yeah, and that's but the, I just and that's it, the thing that Davis the Davis Cup did not have going for its old way. I mean, Davis Cup needed an overhaul because like you can't oh, yeah. you can't have yeah, yeah. all these ties being decided having dead Sundays. That's right. a terrible format for the sport. Um, and yeah, so yeah, Davis, Davis Cup had to be changed. It was just it remains to be seen whether or not this change is going to be the right one. Yeah, I know you said you were. You you we had a debate over lunch about you saying the best of three would make it a crapshoot, which I agree less with. But we'll see. Maybe maybe if, when you know I don't know who's a random champ when Belgium walks away with the title. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe yeah. I will. <laughs> yeah, I will agree with you there. Oh, yeah. they've been a Davis Cup powerhouse actually in the old format too, yeah. um, in recent years. Uh, okay, so as annually on this show, we're going to go over um, our ATP awards ballots for the season. Oh, we didn't. One other thing I mentioned for World Tour Finals that I did not mention. Brief shout out to Cabal and Farah, oh, yeah. who are leading the Devils' field. And speaking like, of speaking of best matches of the year, uh-huh. Cabal and Farah against Mehu and Roger Vasselin, Wimbledon final, Wimbledon right? final. Yeah. That was I was there for the whole match. That was utterly absurd. <laughs> Five hours, extremely high quality. Yeah, that that match was unbelievable. For people who haven't been following it, just the ATP doubles race to London currently. Cabal and Farah are in first place with. 8,210 points. Second place, Kubo Mello at 46.45. So, like, they are wildly ahead. One of the under-discussed stories, and I know the Devil's Players hate when we say that because, like, we're the ones not discussing it, so it's kind of our fault they're not getting discussed, but anyway. They're um, like, the thing about Cabal and Farah is that they, I don't know exactly how long they've been together, but... I mean, they've known each other for, like, their whole life. Well, yeah, and I, I guess... I mean, ever since Farah came on tour, I think they've been pretty much a staple doubles team. Yeah. And, like, doubles teams used to stay together longer, but in the last, like, decade, like, the Bryans were the only ones that stayed together, and there was so much change in the other teams, and, Even, I, and I feel like that that's why they were so good, because all the other teams, yeah. like, they never really got used to each other, and, and so, like, Cabal and Far are kind of like the Bryans. And even teams, like, you would think, like, Melo Suarez would stick together, because they're both Brazilian, and they're right. the only two yeah, good Brazilian players, and they broke right. up, and I don't know what their relationship is like, I don't know, not really, ju- or even their on-court pairing, I didn't watch them that much to know yeah. if they were, like, were working together or not, but, like, yeah, you would think, like, stability definitely counts for doubles, yeah, stability, it's, it's so chemistry. hard to come by. Yeah. And, and even, in, let's see, like, the doubles field in Shenzhen, the women's side this year, I mean, almost all the teams are, like, new this year teams, I mean... Dabrowski Zhu weirdly been together for a while. Uh, the Chan sisters have been together off and on. They've been they've been off and on. Krejcikova Siniakova have been together since juniors. So, but anyway, it's you know, yeah. it does it is a factor for sure um, in a sport, in, especially in that kind of chaotic format where yeah. margins are so tiny. Anyway, uh, on to the awards ballots. Democracy is important in tennis, and I actually have not gotten the official ballot yet this year, which I feel like usually by this time when we record the show we have it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they're if they're changing something or what, but. Um, so the awards for the ATP calendar, which will be going calendar year 2019, which will be going over our player of the year, most improved, uh, sportsman of best sportsmanship, uh, comeback of the year, uh, coach of the year and newcomer of the year. I will start with player of the year, top line award. Ricky, who gets your vote? My vote goes to Rafael Nadal. Uh, two grand slams. Uh, as we talked about earlier, it's not necessarily the end-all, be-all of the GOAT debate, but I think in, a, in any single year, whoever wins the most Grand Slams is pretty much going to get it, especially because he's almost a lock for number one as well. 
um, multiple Masters titles, so can't really argue. Nadal's. Yeah, Nadal's had an interesting year because I, I would vote for Nadal too. I think at this, I mean, if Djokovic like won Bercy and London, I might it gets number one at the end of the year. I might be like, and Nadal maybe does bad at those tournaments. Maybe right. I'd be like, uh, Djokovic has to win both of them, and Nadal has to do bad in yeah. order for Djokovic to get there. Right, which is not implausible. It's not implausible. Because Djokovic not, not Nadal never does well this time of year. <laughs> right. Um, which is an interesting th- in the go debate. Like, doesn't it all having zero World Tour finals count against him? Probably it does. Um, yeah, I would pick Nadal. Nadal's also like been the most successful guy I can think of in a while at being like a real, true. And he doesn't admit this, I don't think, or, or doesn't talk about it openly. But he's a bit part timer schedule wise. Yeah, he's really picking and choosing his spots. He That's only smart. That's what he had. To yeah, do. well, it's what he's doing. What he had to do. He played yeah. only two of the five um, outdoor hard court masters is this year Smart. he played indian wells and pulled out midway through and then played canada and then pulled out of cincinnati pulled out of shanghai you know that, that's that's prudent there's nothing people you know nadal fans that have knocked federer for a few years when he was skipping clay being like oh you know you're not a real player if you don't play all those things whatever but you got to do that at some point oh, yeah. you, you have to maximize players from doing that forever yeah in this sport and nadal has done it very judiciously and still manages in a sort of serena type way to like come out and not need a lot of match prep he doesn't ever look rusty ever really when we see him um lately and he's been really picking his spots well and that makes it tougher to get to number one because he's not you know warehousing points constantly but if he does get to number one especially it'll be a really strong year but i, w- I would pick nadal and yeah but mo- my, my, my main takeaway from nadal's year is he's really doing the part-time thing right oh, I totally and so agree, that's yeah. that's been impressive. he's also he's also the only person who can beat medvedev so <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that, that makes him the player of the year <laughs> that's also true but medvedev hasn't lost hasn't beaten Federer yet has he uh, no, they, they, haven't, they, haven't played, they haven't played. Yeah, uh, no, they played in Miami, but I guess not since then. Okay, yeah, um, not since Medvedev really had his glow up for right. sure. Medvedev would be on the ballot for Player of the Year oh, for sure. For sure, he's um, he's number four, and yeah. did, no one else is close to him. And you know, if someone and he, can, and he might, he's probably going to pass Fed. Maybe good yeah. if he does well in Paris. So if somebody, you know, if somebody threw a vote to Medvedev for sure, like you're the most interesting player this year, I would, I would understand <laughs> right. that vote. Yeah. But yeah, mathematically and two slams, like you said, it's hard to vote against. Yeah, uh, Nadal. So Nadal will get that one. Although Djokovic also won two slams this year. Now that I'm thinking of that, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I kept. I guess I was thinking in my head that like Federer won one of those, but yeah. no, no. But uh, yeah. Djokovic also won two slams this year. We've, I so, guess we forgot about Australia because it was so freaking easy. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking more of like no, that Federer won one of them. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I was thinking maybe 2018. I guess. <laughs> No, but, yeah, no, but yeah, now, now, hold on, now, <laughs> slow down this unanimous thing. Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> then I think it is still in play. Then I think it's it is still, then I think it's still who play. comes down to number, that'll become it, number one, and yeah. it'll be redundant with that, yeah. Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking there. I don't know what I was thinking either. <laughs> okay. Um, all right, so uh, with that in mind, with that new suspense in mind, player of the year, let's go to um, one of the more competitive categories, or one of the least competitive categories this year, when we're going through the list. Uh, it's comeback player of the year. Let's go there next. Like uh, there are not a lot of players who came to mind for this no. right away. Three players we came up with are Andy Murray, obviously. Although you pointed out that his injury was sort of mid, or his surgery was mid this year, which is not how it typically goes. But I think it's, well, early this year, early this year. I think it's still in twenty nineteen. Yeah, and it was been a long term injury too. Yeah, um, his ranking was already down before this year, yeah. um, and the same injury started in right. twenty eighteen or right. before twenty seventeen. Yeah. yeah, it got worse. Um, Bob Bryan will probably get on this ballot. I'm guessing because even though his yeah. doubles, he still had a pretty good. What does he rank, Bob Bryan? Um, Bob Bryan is ranked. Uh, 29 pretty good 
for having a hip replacement. I didn't realize he was still that far behind Mike. I guess did Mike and Jack win London last year? Yes, and pa- and or Paris. Yeah, they won yeah. everything. Okay, yeah. So, um, big gap from the Bryans still in the rankings. Uh, and then so yeah, good for Bob could be on there. And then Songa, uh, maybe could be getting. I mean, Songa's an interesting one because Songa I think w- would get a vote for for comeback just objectively. Yeah, he went from two thirty nine in the rankings to thirty five. Um, I don't feel like he's really like lit the world on fire, and like considering what what a well known player he is and well thought of, I don't know if he's exceeded expectations per se, which I feel like is usually a component of comeback. But um, objectively, I think it's either Songa or Murray, and I think Murray probably gets it because he's been the bigger narrative. But Songa is at a much would, bigger yeah. rankings rise. I would probably give it to Songa just because what is it two thirty nine to what is it thirty five? Yeah, and counting over, counting, over he's still, he's still alive in yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just beat Rublev. Um, I would probably give it to him just based on the sheer numbers, but obviously, I mean, Murray's the much bigger story and had the more severe injury, so it's pretty much down to them, too. There really are, as you said, there's not a whole bunch of candidates. Yeah. Uh, most improved, there's a few people we went over, and we might have missed somebody, but here are the ones who jumped out to us, um, based largely on ranking jump, and there's other factors, too, we can get into. Daniil Medvedev, we'll go with him, he went from 16 to 4 in the rankings. Uh, Matteo Berrettini went from 54 to 9. Uh, Juan Ignacio Landero went to 118 to 51. Felix Oje Aliassim went from 108 to 19. Riley Opelka went to, from 99 to 31. Uh, Alexander Bublik went from 162 to 48. Uh, Struff went from 57 to 36. And Dominic Kupfer went from 161 to 85. We might have missed somebody in there who had a pretty big jump, but those are the ones that stand out. I think this would come down to a race between Berrettini, Medvedev, and... Uh, Felix, probably. And Apalka, yeah. Apalka's good, too. 9931, but not the same kind of not range yeah. as those guys. Um, I would... I mean, there's this other award down here, which is Newcomer, which I think will go to... Almost certainly go to Felix. Yeah. Um, and so that's the one that Felix seems more apt for. Yeah. And Felix, to me, also, like, yes, he's doing things well, obviously, and he's just turned 19. Um, but he was, like, expected to do this in this... Is he 19? Is that right? 19, yeah. He's expected to do this in this way... Um, where he was been talked about forever, yeah. And so most improved to me has like sort of an element of surprise to it, where it's like somebody who changed the arc of their career, like in a meaningful way. He was like we kind of knew about, and they and they just sort of elevated themselves, you know, to being a top person. The way I sort of think about, I don't know, like Kerber, who we'd been on tour for like several years and was kind of a known person on tour before ever being relevant, and then suddenly upped herself into that relevant category. Uh, same thing with like who else? I meant to say. Like Vavrinka certainly did that at some point in his career. Right. Um, so yeah, with, I totally agree. I mean, so plus. with that in mind, I would lean more towards Medvedev or Berrettini, um, or even like a Struff. Yeah, but, that's the thing about Struff. Like his ranking, he didn't really like. like I'm a surprised huge his ranking, ranking didn't jump, jump further. Yeah, maybe he started but, his improvement late last year or something. Also, well, he did. Yeah, but like you said, like he's like revolutionized his career like even without rank- making like a huge rankings jump yeah which because like he's 29 years old and like he had never really done anything much like until this year yeah i mean this year he hasn't done an absolute ton like he hasn't reached a final but he's just like he's been consistently way better than he had ever been before yeah but yeah i think i think i would give it to Berrettini, especially if he makes london which he's probably going to yeah um medvedev i mean medvedev's been incredible what can you say but i just feel like six, 16 is already pretty dang high it is but this like, is but there's, i think there's a it's arguable to me if there's a bigger difference between 16 and four yeah. versus 50 and 10 which is basically what Bertini's doing yeah i mean the thing is like 
I had barely, I mean, I had heard of Berrettini before this year, yeah. but like, he had I never for- been like on my radar. And like, I've watched tennis like every day. Yeah. I first and watched like, Berrettini because he was playing against Ducky Lee at some challenger in China. And I watched the stream. Yeah. And Berrettini destroyed him. And it looked like this like enormous, like big, huge, strong guy. Like just beating up, I forget which challenger, it was some small Chinese challenger. I was like, what is happening here? Why is yeah. this guy in China? And he was so good. Um, and so he'd been on my radar from that. And then he beat Jack Sock in Sock's Nightmare 2018, which we'll get, we'll get to Sock in a bit. Um, but Berrettini was the guy in 2017 who was, so he should have gotten the wild card into, into, the, next, into, into yeah. the next gen. I was talking about him. And he ended him, up losing to Quincy. Yeah. I'd seen him play or he lost somebody in that tournament. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. So that's where you should have heard of him in 2017. Right. Yeah. But so, um, but like at the end of 2017, people had barely heard of him. And yeah. now two years later, he's in London. Yeah. Most likely. So I, I think Berrettini is a good pick for this award. Yeah. Um, yeah, Medvedev, I wouldn't argue with at all either. Cause Medvedev. Maybe I feel like he deserves some award this <laughs> That's year. That's what I was going to say. He needs something. <laughs> um, and it won't be sportsmanship. No, uh, which, we'll be get, sportsmanship. which we'll get to next. Um, sportsmanship award, always totally subjective. We didn't make a short list for this. Um, my thought for this award, it's a sort of a popularity contest. I think it's so stupid. I said it's someone who appreciates Roger Federer a lot. That Roger Federer's won as much as he has. It's a joke. Um, who won it last year? Nadal? I think Nadal actually won Finally, it last year. Yeah. Nadal won it once before, too. But like, uh, yeah, I, t- I totally agree with you. But the yeah, that... the, they should not go to the best guys. Like I, my no. pick for this award, my vote this year would or will, I don't if my ballot ever shows up, will go to, uh, if he's on it, and if he's not, I'll write him in, uh, Diego Schwartzman. Yes. Who I think is call. like just like a perfectly like personified like what the sort of spirit of this award is about. Like someone who's like a value add, everyone likes having around, like really fun, pleasant to be on court with, people gravitate towards, likable, charismatic. And there's the other categories, there's other factors they put in the sport. Sorry, in the text of this award that are like growing the game, which is not usually something you think of as sportsmanship, which is I think large, large part of why they justify giving it to Federer and at all because there's such big symbols for the game. But even in his own way, Schwartzman does that. I mean, Schwartzman is very captivating. It's you know very engaging. Gets a lot of people into it, and so he'd be my sort of I would also in the sort of like that. in the sort of like miscongeniality sense of the word, like a beauty pageant. Like you didn't win, but like we like you. I would I think also kind of what sportsmanship should be. I would I also nominate the uh, person who Schwartzman just lost to in the Vienna final. Yeah, team also a good pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although uh, <laughs> he did have, I don't think he was unsportsman like with Serena, but Whoopi Goldberg would be oh, not a, would be not thrilled with this award this year. That was that was not team's fault. No, it was not team's fault. <laughs> it was it was a. <laughs> It was a, one of the most surprising Grand Slam moments, though. <laughs> one of the matches of the year, honestly. One of the rivalries of the year at Grand Slam. Yes. team, yeah, uh, undeniably. I don't uh, know. I might put Millman in there too. Millman's like a nice guy. He's like, <laughs> as we said last year, Millman could have won three of the awards. Last year. He could have won <laughs> yeah. most improved sportsmanship and comeback. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but Millman, yeah, Millman should get the award named after him. Honestly, Millman's also a phenomenal commentator for for what it's worth. Yeah, when he retires, like looking forward to seeing him in the booth. Came some some intel uh, from friend of the show mike cation just messaged me saying that Noah rubin will be commentating uh in somewhat official capacity in charlottesville this week oh, nice. so if people tuning in to that will hear uh no rubin who nice. has not been on ncr actually but could have been by now because he does all this stuff and read about him uh yeah so there's your programming update for broadcasters uh last thing on here before we do our anti-awards is uh coach of the year i would give this without a doubt to Medvedev's coach jill servara like breaking into that group and doing what he did and making Medvedev's year I think he's, he, he's, he's, a, he's a, yeah, I would say hard to argue. Runner up, Nicholas Masu. 
Yeah, that's team, a good pick. Team won a hardcore Masters 1000 in pretty much their first tournament together. Yeah. And they've pretty much only improved since then. I so. guess, I really, I gotta say, like, I don't know if he has as much to show for it as he deserves for his 2019, because he already had made a French Open final. Yeah. Like, winning a Masters title after being so close a few times doesn't feel like a huge breakthrough, per se. Yeah. But, like, team is a very different sort of, like, energy on tour this year. He's much more in the Serena thing, again, sort of <laughs> is part of it. But, like, he's much, feels like a much bigger, like, more you know, independent adult on tour in some way. He feels like this more, like, fully formed person on tour. And part of that definitely, I think, probably goes to his coaching. Uh, splitting up with Gunter Bresnik, he's been his coach since he was a kid, so he probably feels more like an adult making, you know, taking things into his own hands a little bit this year. Um, so, yeah, so shout out to Dominic Teams, uh, grown-upness in 2019. Uh, all right, so as always, or as last time at least we did, the anti-awards also, which are also fun, basically flipping them on their heads and saying who would win the opposite awards sort of raspberry award type style uh player of the year is not really worth flipping it's just who's worst who cares um but we'll do the other one so most improved goes to most worsened player of the year uh worst sportsmanship uh the disappeared player of the year supposed to come back and the old comer of the year oh we didn't get the newcomer of the year which is um which we talked about we looked this up before the show this it used to be called star of tomorrow yeah uh, which was just given to the player under 18 or no sorry the youngest player in the top uh 100 so by that definition, this year would actually go to Yannick Sinner, who just turned 18 and is in the top 100 now. Um, he would get this award. Yannick Sinner, you mentioned the Wimbledon match earlier. Big, uh, big appreciation for him in these parts. Uh, had a really good year. Really good run to Antwerp quarters or semis. Forget what it was. Quarters, semi, and, uh, semi. I think maybe. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, lots of Vavrinka. Yeah, he's uh, he's had a really strong year. Young Italian ginger. Lots of like there, big hitter. Um, Started playing tennis later in life, relatively yeah. speaking. Yeah, relatively speaking, it's a competitive <laughs> it was a ski racer before. Uh, so it's somewhat unique origin. Although I guess Djokovic did that too. He was playing tennis earlier, but he's also a, a skier. Not doesn't play much of Djokovic at all. Much more of a you know lanky big hitter kind of play, um, but consistently aggressive. Plays the way you wish Zverev would play. It's how I would describe Sinner a lot of times. Like much more proactive. It's, at least at this point, it's crazy to have a good amount of clarity, and he'll get challenged and get scouting reports on him and stuff, things will get tougher for him. But his, his breakout's been really, really positive, considering he was, like, not even ranked high enough to get into French Open qualies wow. this year. Um, now he's And now, he, now he's top one. Now he's directing yeah. to Australia. Yeah. So that's a very, very fast, uh, especially considering he didn't have a Wimbledon run. Yeah. Uh, beyond that one great match. Uh, so center would uh, be the old definition, but the newcomer would go to Felix. We agree. Yeah. Because I mean, like, now it's... Because the definition is someone who broke into top 100 and made an impact on tour. So right. Felix, See, now, they, now the players vote on it instead yeah. of it's just automatically given to the youngest player in the top 100. Yeah. So there's like most impact on tour. So it'll definitely be Felix. Yeah. Although Felix is interesting because like Felix's year has been, yes, really good by any definition. Yeah. But I also mean, at times hit, disappointing. Well, he hit the wall in a big way once. I mean, like he's had... But he said like he didn't win a title and he played a lot of small tournaments. He had that... Had a couple of like... Not a really great slam record at all. He won three matches or two matches in Wimbledon, and that's it. It's been like he's so he got his, hurt in, for in, before, his, in his whole career. Right? He's only won matches at one Grand Slam. Yeah, in his entire career. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, just Wimbledon two matches. He did make semis in Miami as a qualifier, yeah. but as we talked about earlier, he didn't have to beat anyone great. He Not really. Yeah, draw. and then he and then he kind of choked away that match, honestly, against John. Yeah. Two tiebreakers, both yeah. of which you could have won. Yeah. So, I mean, like, and not to, but that's an interesting, I was talking to Louisa Thomas, who wrote a profile of him for the New Yorker 
this year. And we were just talking about Felix, and we said we haven't really covered him that much of the New York Times, so it hasn't been like a moment that he's had his breakout thing. Yeah. He's kind of been stealthy, and he's played down a lot, especially, and which made sense, I think, to me. Early in his career, he played challengers a bunch when he could have probably gotten to more ATP qualities and stuff like that. Keeps pressure off. At the same time, now he's like a top 20 player, and that brings pressure on its own. Um, and it's sort of a headline when you lose first round. Um, anyway. Everyone thought he was going to have his chance fourth round of Wimbledon against Joker, but yeah, he, got, he ended he up getting Umber. destroyed by Umber in the third round. Yeah, so that was a surprise. Anyway, so but Felix wins that. Uh, to get to the uh, Old Comer Award, oldest person in top 100, remarkably, is Roger Federer at number three in the world. That he's still like the oldest player and still like that good. And can is a reasonable pick to win the 2020 Australian Open. That's and just one Basel. I mean, that's that's very impressive. He's one month older than Feliciano Lopez. Yeah, he's also in there. Shout out to him for doing the double in Queens Club at 38 years old. Very good with Andy Murray. Very good. 37 back then. 37 back but then. Yes. Yeah. So the one of the awards we're going to go over for sort of anti awards is the flip of most improved, which is most worsened uh, player. Uh, and there's two real contenders I think for this award on the ATP side that come to mind uh, for me. The first one is. Ernest Golbus, who really just failed to win any matches this year. And has been a very up-and-down person. This could probably be, like, the Ernest Golbus, you know, name-it-after-him kind of award in terms of someone who's had, like, big ebbs and big flows in his career. But he was ranked, Golbus, as high as 74 in May. Wow. And it's now, in October, down to 228. Um, just not winning matches pretty much at all. Has taken some weird L's in Antalya and... To locals in Antalya and to to a local uh, ranked fifteen seventy in uh, named Lucas Renard in Stockholm qualifying retired seven five in the in the first injured um, yeah just not not a fun year to be earning what whatever reason to be a good year for him I don't think he's been particularly injured uh, he's just been bad just kind of in the spirit of this award and the other person who comes to mind for sure um, who's still in the top hundred but who's at, who was I think is Fall short of any expectations would be Kyle Edmund, who started the year at number 13, uh, once the top 20, British number one. Now he, um, in you know, October is not named to the first list of the British Davis Cup team. It's still on the bubble for that. Uh, ranked 75th, really just fallen off. Um, he's somebody who, like, I was always surprised with him, like, how he was, he's always was doing when he was having his rise. I was always, I didn't didn't totally add up to me. Like, I was like, I don't get why you're as good as your results are um, by looking at you. Maybe that's bearing out a little bit this year. But, uh, yeah, it's I don't kind, know. Of, kind of one-dimensional. Yeah. Forehand, not much else. Which is kind of going to the player who had won this award last year, Jack Sock. Like, um, you know, that those kind of games, I guess, are pretty easy to get exposed. Or when there's, like, a, when a book comes out on how to play you, like, people will pass it around and read it. Yeah. And it'll become a popular title in the ATP locker room. And you can get that way pretty quickly because um, people can certainly smell blood in that environment. Um, so I don't know, who, who would be your pick, Ricky? I, I'd pick Edmund just yeah. for the reasons you said. I feel like we're going to talk about a disappearing category to uh, combat newcomer, I guess, or to combat some more. To combat comeback, yeah. To combat comeback. And I feel like Gullbus is more of a disappearing act. I feel like Gullbus is more of a disappearing act to me. Um, plus, like I feel like Edmund like clearly got worse from the year before. And, like, even though Gulbis was ranked kind of high, it was all because he had, like, a fluke run to the Wimbledon fourth round. Like, the rest of 18, 2018, he was pretty terrible. That's true. So he was already bad by Gulbis standards before this year. Whereas yeah. Edmund, Edmund started 13 no, I w- and then just, like, completely... For most of the year, I was looking at Gulbis and, like, how are you ranked this high? Right. 
So, um, yeah, he remember he bageled Zverev in the fifth set? That's right. At Wimbledon? Yeah. Wild scenes. He should have reached the quarter because he had that in well, Nishikori, bizarre right? match against Nishikori. Yeah, where he both, of them, both of them were hurt. Yeah, he could have won that. Yeah. Um, all right. So, next up uh, in awards, I will vote for Edmund also. I think, yeah, he's more in the spirit of this award. Yeah. I don't think of anybody else who would qualify for this award, really. But, no, they're the main two who come to mind. I was going to say, the if we were talking about the women, too. I think really under the radar, especially for her, is how bad Jeannie Bouchard's year has been. Jeannie Bouchard has slipped down to 220 in the world this week, and she has not won a match since February. And she's been like playing, I don't know, she's probably played, I don't know, 13, 14 matches since then, and has not won a single match. Um, and, it, and, and, it was, and it was safely top 100 beginning of the year. It's surprising how, how much lack of play it's gotten. Like, you yeah. think for someone of Jeannie's notoriety, yeah. like... It's like, like everyone would be talking about it. She's a super polarizing player. I really enjoy having her on tour. I've always gotten along with her well. And I think she's a, a very sort of like interesting personality to add some some drama to the mix and some, you know, fire to things. And so I, I hope that she gets back to relevance because seeing her struggling is not uh, not particularly good for the sport or for anything else. Uh, oh, Golbus, one last thing. I took this note. Golbus, <laughs> amazingly, given his shit year, has won... Three hundred sixty-two thousand dollars in prize money this year. How? I, just, I, I don't know. Oh my gosh, tour must but be like, doing quite well. This is the thing with. I remember the same similar stat with sock last year too. Like you get so much money from being a first-round loser at tournaments. Like you can win like nothing and still like make a ton of money. Just yeah. Starting I guess off, if you're, did he play all four Grand Slams? Uh, I think probably. so. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, I, he wouldn't have been main draw U.S. I don't think. Golbus. Probably not. Yeah. I don't think so. Maybe he would have. Uh, maybe he would have. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, that's, <laughs> he didn't that's, have any memorable, that's an, that's memorable an, things. That's an insane uh, amount of money for him to be winning for sure. So hopefully he and he he's somebody who could be gone. I mean, like because he's in his thirties. Who knows if he wants? And he does not like playing those challengers and stuff. And he's actually never won one of those challengers. He's always talked about never lasting too long. Yeah. In terms of his professional career, he but has he also but he also has talked about having goals and stuff too. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what he. He certainly has a kind of reckoning moment here, and getting injured in Stockholm and leaving, losing to fifteen seventy in the world. That's probably not how he wants to finish things. I think no. he has probably more pride than that, and hopefully Golbus gets a, a finish more fitting of his unique and magical Agreed. Uh, uh, tour Agreed. life. <laughs> um, another award that we have the flipped version of the sports best sportsmanship award, worst sportsmanship award. Um, the shortlist we came up with at lunch included Fabio Fanini, Nick Kyrgios. Benoit Pair, Daniel Medvedev, and we put Casper Ruud on there, but really only because of his recent beef with Nick Kyrgios. I don't think he'd ever get uh, well, it, consideration it escalated. It, it, it started in May. It is started in May. It escalated the thing in is, November. The thing with Ruud, I think, is interesting. It's like Ruud is a really diametrically different person than Kyrgios. Because like Ruud, in talking to him, because I talked to him, or was in the scrum that he did for media after that match where Kyrgios got defaulted in Rome, and or actually after... A while later, because it was a two-a-day place, so Rude had to play a second match, then he came in. Um, and Rude was, like, Rude was, like, clearly, like, not having any of the curious stuff. And he's, like, clearly, like, a very old-school guy for his mm-hmm. age. In a way that almost reminded me a little bit of, like, Ryan Harrison, um, where he comes from, like, his dad was a tour player. He turns, like, Nadal Academy, which I'm sure is, like, super, like, you know, by-the-book rules right. Nadal-ish that way um so in so he and Kyrgios are like very different forces so it, like makes sense to me that they would like find each other and like not enjoy each other <laughs> on that way um, so it'll be interesting to see if they play each other again Ruth had not a great uh year otherwise uh, since then really but uh but he's still high enough to get into 
slams and no oh, yeah, yeah 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 so, but then no, not, anyway he's not going to win this torch award any more torch he's not right. even going to get votes probably right, no. um in this imaginary poll we're doing <laughs> yeah. um the obvious pick is Kyrios. i think Kyrios would win this award comfortably if it was get put to a vote this year um however i will vote for fabio fanini who we forget people forget that he uh wished out loud at wimbledon that wimbledon will be bombed that's, it deserves to be bombed. That's bad. That's and, not and, great. And it's unique, too. And it's <laughs> unique. The threat of terror is a unique component that usually uh, scores highly in this bad sportsmanship category. And then also he inspired Andy Murray to tell him to uh, shut up. One of the one of the more entertaining moments of 2019. Absolutely. I would give it to Kyrgios, just the over, overall body of work you can't you can't argue against. It's and, disrespectful not to give it to Kyrgios. Right. He's working for it. He's done so much on social media, on the court, off the court. But at the same time, like, it's also predictable. Like, you know he's going to do it. Yeah. Whereas, like, honorable mention, I feel like, goes to Medvedev. Just what he did at the US At Open. one match. But, yeah. Well, the one match, and then he did it again. Yeah. Really, like, for no reason after his next match, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just the flipping off the crowd. Like, that's not something you see every day. No. And he did it for no reason. Like, Lopez hit a winner, and the crowd was happy. And so Medvedev flipped him off. Yeah. And then, of course, the interviews were legendary. Oh, they, so, were, they were the best. Honorable mention to him. But, no, those but were, my vote goes to Kyrgios. He would win, like, honestly, like, best actor or something. That would be <laughs> yeah. a category here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, all right. That's worth sportsmanship. Uh, I expect Kyrgios to win that one. Um, well, Kyrgios, where the determining... We're, we're, we the we're giving the awards. Yeah, so, so, Kyrgios, so Kyrgios wins it. Kyrgios wins it, sure. But <laughs> Panini, uh, close second. Yeah. A respectable second, and then, or unrespectable second. And then uh, the opposite of comeback is a little bit similar to Worsen, but the disappearing act of the year. And this is people, to put it a positive way, who set themselves up well to be comeback next year, largely. That's people true. Who, who fell off and are future comeback nominees, let's say, positively. Um, the most clear, obvious example of this is Jack Sock, who. Um, we are recording this on Monday uh, of the this week in Paris Bercy week. Jack Sock plays tomorrow evening in Charlottesville um, against Seku Bangora uh, in a first round match. If Jack Sock w- loses that match, he will have no ranking next week. Zero ranking. He'll be unranked. After this is less than two years after being in the ATP World Tour Finals. Wow. And ha- he yes he missed. Uh, five six months with injury at some point in there but he was doing bad before the injury too so i don't like give him as much slack as you might for that injury in this and he's been right. doing bad since then too while all the while still maintaining really strong doubles results the whole time um i mean that he was able to with jackson withrow who's not really an accomplished player outside of being with jack sock at all mm-hmm. to beat the brian to the u.s open like i mean jack's still an incredible doubles talent and which makes his singles failures at this point like all the more glaring and like it makes me wonder like how he got to be number eight in the world ever to begin with when he's when he can't when his when his lows are this low i mean like is he that different a player than he was i don't i i don't know i mean he's I in mean, he's in really bad shape yeah that's i mean he was all, even during his prime he was never in great shape yeah. and now he's in super bad shape which is part of the explanation but yeah he's played a fair and it doesn't amount. hurt you as much in doubles yeah it doesn't hurt yeah He's played a fair amount, like you said, he's played a fair amount of singles matches against winnable opponents, yeah. to beatable opponents, and he hasn't done it. So He lost to Jack Draper in Vegas. He lost to uh, ATP Cupper. I'm going to mispronounce his name. I've never heard it out loud before. Like Mikhail Pervalakis or something like that, who's the uh, Greek teammate of Sitsipas. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, it's, 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 it's really, it's, it's bizarre to me. Like, I, I think, like, I've been fascinated by the story the whole time. Like, Sock. To be clear, Sock's, like, glow up from being ranked, like, 20th-ish, 21st, I think, when he won Paris Percy to being top eight. 20, I think 24th. 24th, 20, okay, 20, sure. Yeah. Um, 
that was fluky because like he got a really broken jaw at the Paris Bursting Masters. He played Benito and Krajinovic in the final two rounds to win a Masters title. That's it's nuts. Crazy. Yeah. That's nutty. Um, but then, you know, and then he didn't back it up at all. Like, starting from Auckland the next year, he was really... Um, yeah. Back yeah, he got the like semis of London right after that. Yeah, and, right, then, and then he backed it up then, in London, right? So he back, right. so he Paris was a fluke, tournament. but London was like, he backed it up. He beat Zverev, I think he beat yeah. Chilich, made semis of London. Yeah. And yeah, he beat Zverev in what was basically a quarterfinal. Yeah. The last round robin match to yeah. get in. Yeah. So th- that was when where Jack was playing legitimately great tennis. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just stopped so suddenly. I've never seen anybody's career like really just like end. Like when they, when it was not, it was not injury reason at that point. It was just being bad and being looking un- out of shape and unmotivated and all these things. If he finishes the year with zero points, then I think he has to be considered the disappearing act. Oh, my he, God. Because he will literally have disappeared completely. from the rankings. Yeah, so. that's, like, completely... I, I mean, he's going to have a few more tournaments this year. He'll still get into some tournaments based on his... Because this six-week cutoff, so I think he's also entered in Knoxville. Yeah. I think uh, maybe something else. But he will be unranked if he loses this week. And even if he wins a couple matches, he's still going to have a very, very low ranking. Because he has... Uh, I think he's in the 200s right now. But he has 180 points from last year, shockingly, when his ranking was on a... Another cliff edge uh, when he's defending his Paris Bercy title. He made quarterfinals of Paris Bercy uh, with a pretty favorable draw that he got um, when it all pulled out. So yeah, but he's he's sort of the clear winner of this award. The other one I mentioned who hasn't been talking about much is, and I know I think he is hurt, but I haven't heard too much about it. I haven't heard people. He was going down before this too. Is Jared Donaldson? Oh yeah, he's hurt. He's hurt, but he yeah. got like some sort of knee. He's totally disappeared. Yeah, but he even before he got the surgery or yeah. post that surgery, he had been already really falling off radar and he's somebody else who was next gen in 2017 the sort of first next gen class yeah. and was talking about the next big america thing and like and i've just heard sort of talk from people who are on the challenger tour like yeah he just like seeming to the take i heard from somebody who sort of knows the situation was that he was finding things like much tougher than he expected and just like was not getting the results he wanted and gets dispirited from that which is understandable you know mm-hmm. when you when you're supposed to be great or think people talking about you being good and then it's not panning out that way it is tough and it's you know it's a testament to everybody else who does stick it out like yeah sticking with him when it's not working it's not easy in this sport it's just gonna be very unrewarding even yeah, if, i thought even if ernest gold was coming three hundred fifty thousand yeah, dollars i thought year. in two, 2017 i thought donaldson was gonna be at least as good as like tfo and fritz and opelka yeah and, and all those guys but yeah so he's in a disappearing category maybe there's others that are uh I think this has to be a sock award. Yeah, yeah, I'll go to sock. I mean, Golbus kind of qualifies for both categories because yeah. I feel like, you know, in his prime, he's one of the most talked about guys that That's just true. for his on court and off court antics, and now like he's not even relevant anymore. Yeah, but yeah, I think you got you got to give it to sock. We'll see. And it, it, yeah, it's just fascinating to see what happens to sock, and, and maybe this lights a fire under him, but it certainly has not happened yet. And there would have been plenty of time for that fire to get kindled already. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it from the flip awards. Uh, I think we mentioned. Do we mention old comer of the year? I think we maybe did. Federer, yeah, yeah Federer, one, one, mo- one month older, one month older than Feliciano Lopez. It's pretty good. Yeah. All right. Um, that is about it for our show here. I think we covered all, most all of the uh, stuff we wanted to. Thank you, Ricky, for being here. Thanks for having me. Once again, congratulations yeah. on running a marathon. How was your marathon this year? Uh, it was. It was good. I mean, any marathon you finish, I consider good. Uh, it was a bit tough. Because of the weather. Yeah, rain, um, real rainy. Real rainy, windy, not quite thunderstorms, but it was a downpour for probably five or ten of the miles. Uh, but it was good. Ben was out there on mile eight, uh, which is always good to see. 
uh, give me updates on tennis matches. That was are... so frustrating because I, <laughs> I was there. I had my sign ready to give you an update on the team of uh, team Schwartzman Vienna final. Yeah, and, and yeah, and then it they... hadn't started because of the Salisbury doubles match, but yeah. uh, which but was yeah. had an epic tweener. So shout out to Joe Salisbury on the show. All in all, it was good. My time Memphis was Tiger Joe Salisbury. Yeah, that's right. My time was not as good as Wozniacki's. Um, I'm gonna. You still, you still haven't beaten her yet. I've never you? beaten Wozniacki. I'll try, try for it again next year, but. Uh, I'm going to blame it on the weather. It might be because I'm not aging quite as well as Federer, but <laughs> but but for now I'm going to blame it on the weather. But no, overall it was good. I finished. Um, so yeah, it was fun. And now we will get you to DC Landmark Bench Chili Bowl. Yes. And sign out the night in style. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll be back with Courtney for a WTA similar kind of show, catching up on the Asian swing, which has been good. And, you know, if you guys are awake in a appropriate time zone for it, uh, this week in Shenzhen should be really good. It's a very strong, I think, eight-player field, even without Serena, who... Had every chance to qualify if she played anything in the fall and chose not to, which is frustrating for me personally. Uh, but uh, yeah, three, it, out of, three out of four, three setters so far. Yeah, no, it's the first, we just for, through the first cycle of round robins, yeah. it's been very, very good. Um, and there's a ton of money on, uh, at stake. I mean, this is the biggest, I think, champions purse ever at a tournament, like four point something million. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty incredible. Hopefully, Shay can take the doubles title. No, yeah, big big fan of yeah. Jay Suwe, yeah. Ricky Diamond. Thank you again. Thanks for having me.